Hi, I'm Bruce Tolgan, author of The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, published by Harvard Business Review Press. And this is The Indispensables, a podcast featuring conversations with real go-to people who stand the test of time in the real world of work. Each week, I ask my guests what they do differently that sets them apart in the workplace, what makes them tick, and what makes them so successful. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Jay Morris about servant leadership and a whole lot more, uh, his fascinating career and his role uh, running the education function at Yale New Haven Health System. Welcome to The Indispensables. I'm Bruce Tolgan, and today I have Dr. Jay Morris. Jay is the Vice President of Education at Yale New Haven Health System, one of the leading medical providers in the world, and he's the Executive Director of the Institute for Excellence there. Uh, He has a long and storied career. He has degrees coming out his ears, and this is a guy who has been leading the education function at one of the most important healthcare institutions in the world during the COVID crisis. Uh, and before, and here he is to help lead them in the post-pandemic era. Dr. Jay Morris, welcome to The Indispensables. Bruce, thank you for having me, and I'm just uh, excited to be here with you this morning. Well, thank you so much, and I will say, full disclosure, we live in New Haven, and so if I have to go to the hospital, I, I go over there to Yale New Haven Health System and uh, it gives me great uh, confidence to know that you're there uh, helping people learn how to be leaders. Thank you. Um, so tell us, you know, when people hear about a guy like you, they think, oh, well, I could never be like that. And, and one of the things I've been trying to help people see in the podcast is that you didn't start out where you are. So how did you get to where you are? I was born and raised in Allentown, Pennsylvania to two wonderful parents. Uh, unfortunately, my parents were children of alcoholic fathers. And, and so it, it really cast a different aura in, in terms of just my, my lifestyle. But I was very, very close to my grandfather and, and I would watch him just engaging with people. And he took an interest in people and he taught me the importance of valuing all people and, and to look for the best in people. And so that that's the foundation for me. Uh, I saw the bright side of him. Unfortunately, my father saw the dark side. But, but for me, it was just being around this man who could converse with any and everyone. And I, and I was fascinated by that. So he put this, this desire in me for learning. In fact, Bruce, he was really the only person I can remember in my life who really emphasized the importance of going to college. And this man had a fourth grade education. Uh, but the impact he had on my life was just phenomenal. And, and it showed me that you you can find something in everyone. But that really set, I think, a standard for me around learning and really valuing people at a very, very young age. And, and people can't see because this is audio only, but I can see behind you uh, is just Books and books and books. But how fascinating that your grandfather had a fourth grade education and yet he was the one who was so curious. He's the one who set the example for you to pursue your curiosity and to be a learning machine. Yeah, and, and it's the antithesis of what we expect because you see this man who many times was drunk, but underneath that surface when he was sober, he was just a brilliant man. I, he could have been a lawyer doctor, there's no question. 
a brilliant man and a brilliant thinker, but alcohol got the best of it. And and uh, so you've had to do a lot of reading along the way. And uh, with all these degrees, you have a, a, a doctorate and a master's degree and a law degree. And, and you first studied sociology in your educational path. What led you to be curious about people and how they interact and how they form societies and how they treat each other? You know, and I think the seed was set by my grandfather. And, and unfortunately, you know, coming from a dysfunctional family, I was on my own, age five years old. I was a latchkey child. And, and so a lot of my time was spent in the streets. And, and so I had to engage. I was an only child. And I grew up in the neighborhoods of Allentown, Pennsylvania. And, and you had to have some toughness about you. And, and you had to be savvy and smart. And so I didn't have any older brothers to protect me. And so I had to begin to talk, influence, engage people in, in a way. And so I, I got an interest in, in just enjoying being around people. And, and I realized, again, from my grandfather, that everyone has a story. And if we take the time to learn about the story, uh, we'll find some engaging things about people. And so that premise has stayed with me. My first job was in geriatrics. Crazy that here I was as a 22-year-old kid. I was now engaging with people who are my age now. And, and, and I really didn't have a lot I could tell them, but I tried to remove barriers and obstacles for them and, and really built some creative and some powerful relationships. I found also in, in, in those two years of geriatrics that, that Bruce, probably only about 10% of the people I engage with at that time of their life were struggling. Some of them were not happy, but only about 10% were really, really happy. And so I was able to forge relationships, hear their story, but my value to them was I was able to move obstacles from their, their path and provide what resources we had and it built relationship. It's uh, it's it's interesting. Geriatric uh, work um, as, as a very young person, uh, I can imagine it could be, you can feel like you don't fit together. And yet what a wonderful lesson and, and, it, and I'm guessing it, it furthered the lesson you, you got from your grandfather that everyone has their story. It's funny, I'm at an age now where I've begun to realize that, that not just does everyone have their story, but everyone is the star of their own, of their own drama. And it, it helps so much to remember that when you're interacting with people. It is powerful, but you know, with, with that first job, I mean, that job set the stage for my career. And, and I didn't realize until later on, I began to reflect, but, you know, being a young African-American male in, in a Pennsylvania Dutch environment, which is what Allentown is, uh, I didn't look like these people, but we were able to connect at a very, very deep, and that was at the heart and building trust. I'd go into these people's homes. I, I've seen, I've seen the worst of what you could possibly even imagine. You know, you talk about the elderly, low income, Medicaid, no resources. Some families have disbanded them and I would go into their home. And so just coming into the environment, caring about them, uh, was able to build a level of trust when I realized that everyone has a story and, and they trusted me. Yeah, that's so powerful. And let me ask you this. So are there a couple books that, or is there a book in particular that you like to give young people? There are, there are, there are a number of books. I, let me just start out saying that I started reading comic books. My father, my grandfather read magazines and articles and, and, and journals. And, and so I started reading by reading comic books and, and I just, and it gave me an enjoyment. And then there was a teacher's, uh, a reading teacher who got us interested in reading. And I started going to the library and had a contest where every book you read, they had to write a report. And I, I lived in the library, I think it was in third or fourth grade. 
And, and so I just enjoyed reading and, and writing and it just inspired something in me to continue this. But books, um, I, I will tell you, I am a person of faith. The Bible is my first book. I, I read it cover to cover, minimally once a year. Uh, I read it as many as 12 times a year. And, wow. and so for me, it, it's a way of looking at the characters and understanding the characters. And so for me, that book has been the foundation. And I think it's such a powerful book and it's, it, it's sold like, you know, like a lot of copies, but, uh, but it doesn't get the credit it deserves. The stories are powerful. And I will tell you that book, I, and I'm, I'm one who, I don't need to tell you about my faith. If you can't see it, then I shouldn't be opening my mouth. If you can't see it, if I have to tell you about it, then there's a problem. But if you can if you can see it for me, that that's what's important. And and for me, it's it's not something I get into discussions and conversations about because if we have our perspectives. But the one book, one of the books I enjoy is is Leadership is an Art by Max Dupree. It, it it is a powerful book. And and there's a part in here, and it says the measure of leadership is not the quality of the head, but the tone of the body. The signs of outstanding leadership appear primarily among the followers. Are the followers reaching their potential? Are they learning, serving? Do they achieve the required results? Do they change with grace? Do they manage conflict? And, and it's, a, it's, it's a small book, um, but he has been one of my favorites in terms of leadership. Uh, another one is, is um, Becoming a Leader by Warren Bennis. Oh, beautiful book. And, uh, I'll tell you, Warren Bennis was very kind to me. He blurbed my very first book. And- <sighs> Wasn't, uh, you know, and I was just a kid, you know, and here's, it's like Warren Bennis. I, I was like, okay, I'm, I, I, maybe I should just uh, uh, declare victory and, and stop right here. By the way, on the issue of comic books, you know, I just read a beautiful book, a very short book by uh, Admiral Bill McRaven. He's the guy who wrote Make Your Bed. And he, he just published a new book called The Hero Code. And uh, just for your reference, it opens up with him talking about reading comic books when he was. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't feel so bad. He was one of the greatest war heroes, you know, uh, of our era and um, uh, just a true American hero. And he opens up by talking about reading, uh, reading Superman comics and you know, wanting there to be a hero and and then realizing that, gee, you know, there is no Superman. It's going to have to be us. But, you know, the one the one powerful thing about and, and I, I love computers, but but holding a book in your hand and being able to read through it for me there. And I know it's old school, but but the power of having those words and making notes and capturing those notes. And for me, reading is is a powerful tool. Yeah, I'm with you. And when I was a kid, you know, there was this uh, TV ad, Reading is Fundamental. And uh, I forget where it came from, uh, but but it was a public service announcement. And it's the piece of advice I always give young people, and I'm so glad we're starting there, is read, you know, and and okay. and and they people will young people will say, Oh, I read, you know, a lot. I read on my phone. And I always try to to uh, make the distinction that somebody who's taking the time to write a book has really developed some expertise. And yeah, there may not be that many words in there, but they're really carefully chosen. It's, it's art. For me, writing is an art and be able to have the, the benefit of reading those words. You know, it's someone's story and, and it's something you, you can take with you. 
And so along the way, uh, one of the things I'm, I'm intrigued by in your career is you, you have a wide range of experiences. So you've, you've been around the block a few times and you've, you've been in, in these leadership roles, but it, it looks like you've always gravitated toward organizational development and education and developing leaders. It has been a passion. Well, it, there might be an indication. Maybe I can't keep a job. Maybe that's a problem, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> But, but, but the foundation going back to the geriatrics and, and I was fortunate enough to land a job at Allstate. And, and, and I would tell you, Allstate had a, a management development program, a leadership development program that, that bars none. It was phenomenal. I still think it's, it's, it's a well-kept secret in terms of development. But I was able to go into Allstate and I was uh, in underwriting. And my, my first role coming out of geriatrics was to work in underwriting. I ended up managing a group of underwriters, about 30. And, and these were individuals who had between 15 and 30 years of experience as underwriters. And they reported to me. And, and, and I was able, again, to take the premise of if I can move obstacles and roadblocks for these underwriters as they deal with the sales agents. We had to interface with 2,500 sales agents across the southeast over to Texas. And, 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 and I was able to learn from them, listen to them gain their respect. But what I was able to do was I spent some time there, went into learning development. What I have done and made a practice of doing is every place I've gone, I've built on the work that I started there. So I learned about leadership development. I was sent up to the corporate office, began working with Harbridge House, owned by Sears consulting firm, six Harvard professors. They did a lot of work around leadership development. My first exposure to that formalized process. And I learned things like coaching, assessments, um, and, and, and I built on that one from there to Ernst & Young. So every place I've been, Bruce, I've developed my craft, the things I do. I've built those things and, and, and learned to take those to the next step. So for me, it was almost being like in a laboratory, but increasing my skill sets while providing a service to the organization. And every move I've been able to make, I've been able to build on my skill set. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's interesting because I find people who turn every experience into a building block who look for the learning opportunity. You know, it may be that some people go through all state and don't appreciate the tremendous resources available there. And, and uh, so I, how much of that is what the assets that were available in that experience and how much of that is kind of how you uh, approach a situation? I think a lot of it is individual. Um, one of the things about, Allstate, they were owned by Sears, which was run by generals and military experts. And so there was a discipline and rigor in, in that in that process of learning. But for me, I saw an opportunity to learn. And, and, and the one thing about I love about Allstate, it's got a military focus. Uh, when I first went in, they would sometimes, if they saw that you had leadership potential, they would end up putting you into a space where you had a job that was probably sometimes two levels higher then you were capable of handling. They knew you were going to make mistakes, but in that process, they helped you to learn. When I saw the benefits and value of that, I, I took advantage of it. Plus they, they supplemented my, my education. So I, I was going to school full-time, I went to law school uh, while I was working full-time. So I'd work during the day, go to school at night. And, 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 and also it afforded me the opportunity to get my law degree, my master's degree and my PhD while working full-time and going to school at night. And, and so I took advantage of the resources. And I think people who do that, 
And we can sit and complain about the, the, the problems, but if you look at the benefits and value, it, it's tremendous. And for me, it, it has, it has re- tremendous rewards in my life. Well, and I love that you give Allstate uh, credit for that. And surely they were generous and flexible in that process. But again, you talk about it as if, oh, sure. Then at night I went and got my law degree, my master's degree and my doctorate. I mean, that's not your average bear talking. A little crazy on the side, but you know, I was, I was, I, I was determined for one to learn. I saw the value of education and learning, but the thing also, and I think about my master's degree in OD, I was able to, to work in a day and then go to school at night. And the things I learned, I was able to apply. And for me, there that was exciting that I was learning and growing in the process. And, and, and there were a number of leaders who valued that and took advantage of that. So for me, Allstate was a place of, of energy, innovation, creativity, although an insurance company, uh, I was surrounded by powerful leaders who exemplified that. You know, I guess the lesson I want listeners to take is if you have the opportunity, if you have the resources being presented to you, and you're willing to put in the time and energy to build yourself up, take that opportunity. You know, in, 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 in there's a, you know, the saying, the glass is half empty, half full. But for me, the biggest thing is there's water in the glass. And, <laughs> and for me, that, that's the most important thing. And, and so uh, Allstate had phenomenal leadership. Uh, they developed talent. They developed leaders. They stretched people. Took risks. That's one thing I love. Uh, I love about the military is, is is they stretch you. And and so if you're willing to learn, they were willing to invest. And and so for me, it has paid off. And I would say almost every place I've worked in, Bruce, I've, I've seen their their in the culture of the organization was one of truly valuing talent and investing in talent. And I think when you do that, it pays off. And, and just for uh, the record, uh, this podcast is not brought to you by Allstate, <laughs> but, but maybe it should be. And uh, so uh, uh, we're here with Dr. Jay Morris, Vice President of Education at Yale New Haven Health System and Executive Director of the Institute for Excellence there. Uh, we're going to take a little break uh, and we'll be right back. We're back with Dr. Jay Morris. Dr. Morris, one of the things um, that 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 has that you've said, uh, and I want to draw a bright line under. You were talking about when you were uh, early on a geriatric social worker, and that you saw your role as trying to clear obstacles and uh, help make uh, things easier for people. Uh, so this sounds a lot like servant leadership. Is that uh, a big part of your approach? It, it is, is, is my, my role is, is to serve. Uh, I don't need the glory. And, and for me, if, if a job is well done, for me, that speaks about who I am and what I do. And so for me, w- when you come into an organization, sometimes the goal is to keep people. But we've had a lot of individuals here at, at, at uh, Yellow Haven Health, places I've been Merck, where I've had folks who've come in and they've left. And, and sometimes for something better. My thing is, if you're going to be in an organization, you shouldn't be miserable. And if you're miserable, more than likely you're making everyone else around you miserable and, and finding that place where your gifts and talents can fit. And for me, that's what development is about, helping people to find that place. And it's not always where you are, but if there's no joy, if you come in, you're angry, you're bitter, more than likely you're infecting people around you. And so for me, let's find the best fit, wherever that might be. I mean, is your job is to develop the organization and develop people to help folks become better 
at their roles to help people become better at leading others in the organization. So that's pretty good fit if that's if that's how you look at it. How do you look at development? And doesn't that require building trust uh, in the organization and building trust with individuals? It, it is. And one of the reasons I was was brought into to Yellow Haven Health System was to look at talent management succession and, 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 and identifying leaders early in their careers and, and identifying those skill sets, those talents, and then giving them opportunity to grow. One of my definitions of leadership is that leadership exists at every level of the organization. It's not about title, but there are people who are in frontline roles who play a key piece and they provide leadership. But for me, it's how do we identify that talent? How do we give them the opportunities to grow? Uh, I've adapted early in my career the Center for Creative Leadership's learning model, 70-20-10. of learning is doing. It's actually getting people into the work and, and doing it and learning from that. 20% is coaching and mentoring and 10%, only 10% is classroom. But we tend to place the most emphasis on classroom and think if we put people in the classroom, immerse them there, that they're going to be able to change behavior. It's by doing and practicing and getting feedback. And so one of the goals for me was to make sure that I provided and helped the organization provide a platform for developing leadership. And by the way, it doesn't stop when you become the CEO. For me, it's lifelong learning. For me, and that that's a, a, a competitive advantage is the ability, willingness to learn, develop, grow. And, and if, if we're constantly growing, for me, there is really no such thing as failure if we're learning from it. But the context for me is how do we put that framework into the organization and, and, and help leaders recognize that and, and prepare for the next 15, 20 years. Finding talented people below the radar is so much fun, but it's not easy. Uh, how, how, how do you do that? How do you teach leaders to, to identify high potentials? And, and I'm also interested in how do you teach individuals to recognize potential in themselves? There's a lot of questions. Let, let, let me, let, let me from, from the organizational standpoint, I think this is one of the responsibilities of senior leadership is how do you recognize talent? And one of the ways you do that, Bruce, is by getting out and being with people and talking to people and seeing how they are and engaging them. Uh, the other thing is, is, is by looking through the organization. Uh, we do some work with the Yale School of Management. Karen Stevenson, Dr. Stevenson, is an anthropologist, but she also has, I think, um, I forget the biochemistry background. And she has this process whereby she she worked with the Pentagon. And, and when, I guess, Osama bin Laden, when they were trying to find him, they brought her in. And she's able to go through and identify talent. And there's people called hubs and, and gatekeepers. And, and those are people who are known in the organization of getting things done. When you begin to talk to people, go into the organizations, you begin to find out who leaders are. And if senior leaders take the time, go back to Allstate, they had a process whereby in succession planning, uh, every year, a couple times a year, they would sit down and talk about key talent. And so it's talking about key talent in the way you talk about finances and operations. It has that same level of, of importance. And when you begin spending time developing talent, looking for talent, you create that culture. And, and, and so I think it's important for organizations to do that. And if you look at the top organizations in, in the world, I have to believe that identifying, recognizing, developed talent is, is a key critical competency. I think that's right. And I think so from a corporate standpoint, I, I, I take your point that you build a culture where, hey, one of the things going on here 
is we're we're looking for talent. Uh, I think that makes people want to uh, show their stuff. You know, it makes people uh, less likely to phone it in when they know that they're working in an organization with a culture that is looking for talent. But it's also, um, you know, leaders need tools. And I know that some leaders will tell me, you know, oh, you know, oh, I know it when I see it. Or, um, uh, or then you have organizations who do this very systematic nine box or four box system. Like what I always ask people when I go into an organization is, I ask people questions like, who are your go-to people? Yeah. And then I want to see like who shows up on every list. Yep. But, but those are, um, they're very subjective ways of trying to get your arms around the right people. You know, I'm curious about how, you, how you go about it. Cause obviously you're very good at it. One of the things I think is, is, is getting leaders in the room and being able to have transparent conversations about your talent. You know, who are those who, who get work done just for the sake of getting it done, but who are those leaders who care about the what, the how, and the why? Not just what we do, how we do, but why we do it. And, and so for me, it connects to the values. And it's being able to have those tough conversations in the room, transparent conversations about talent and, and taking an interest in people. The other thing is, is, do you have diversity? Do you have different levels of, of people who are in leadership roles? And, and, and for me, that, that tells you a lot about, you know, are we open to really seeing raw talent as it is? And giving people opportunities to not just get skills and, 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 and positions, but also uh, giving them the opportunity to learn and grow. But it has to be culturally ingrained. The organization has to value it. And for me, it's do you give talent, succession, leadership development, the same conversation and time as you give operations and finance? Is it valued? Is it part of the vision, mission? Does it fit? And, and are, you, are you not compromising? On what it is that you're doing and, and so you've got to be consistent but it, it, it's it's work it's got to be ingrained it's got to be a part of the the the, the um the, the culture and there are some tools and there are assessments um there are in, i love individual development plans do you tie that into performance do you sit down on a regular basis are you able to give people feedback in a way that's building and not tear them down are you building or are you are you destroying and for me, that that's a mindset and, and and having feedback that's available. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I always uh, joke with HR leaders about the performance improvement plan, the PIP, because so often it's deployed in organizations as punishment or as like a last resort with somebody who has demonstrated a track record of lower performance. And I think a performance improvement plan you know, that's, I want one, what, who, you know, uh, that's, that, that sounds like something for winners, not for losers. If it were up to me, I would create an environment where everybody was on a performance improvement plan and they felt great about it. You, you want to build them up. And, and so the performance, the performance management system needs to be linked into the organizational goals uh, where you have corporate goals, you should have division goals, you should have department goals, team goals but then individual goals. And, and if people don't have line of sight to, to where they fit in the organization, you're gonna have problems. And the other thing is, do you truly value talent? When I've been at a number of companies you can see, and one of the things I look for, Bruce, is when I went into an organization, is how did people treat the administrative assistants? You know, were they respectful to them? 
And I would look and see, because it tells me a lot about how you value, value people. So for me, if there was true value and, and, and just embracing those at the front line, it, it gave me a key indicator of what the organization valued. And if you can do that for me, then you can serve your customers. But how do you treat your employees? Um, and for me, that again, that's development. Yeah, and there's there's subtlety and subjectivity and nuance in reading that kind of data. But I think sometimes that kind of data tells you more than an assessment. And you can look and see that and feel it. And you talked about going in and then asking people who are the go-to people. The employees know, the, our, our, our staff, they are smart. Sometimes they're smarter than, than, than the rest of the game. And they can tell you what's going on, how they're treated. And, and you, we could learn a lot from, from those who are on the front line if we just ask and listen. Yeah, and it's you know it's funny how uh, sometimes um, the high potential identification I think doesn't go deep enough into an organization. Like I always want to say to people, you guys are having a hard time hiring. You know, you're saying, oh, the talent wars are on, uh, the 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 supply and demand curve is out of balance. Let's go deeper into your organization. I bet you can find people in there uh, who can do more. Bruce, they're there. I, when I first went to Merck, I was hired into Merck. Um, in uh, 1997, July 7, 1997. And, and I was asked to come in to implement a global performance management system with a leadership component. I was brought in and, and I had one young man who was 20 years younger than I was. His name was Jake, it was Jay and Jake. I had to rely upon him. I had no one else. And the two of us, we worked together. And so for me, it's, it's giving people responsibility and authority to do what they needed. We had to split the organization into two parts. I had to trust that this young man, although he didn't know and he would come and ask questions, but I had to trust him. And, and for me, it's trusting our employees, give them the opportunity to grow, be accessible to them, give them feedback and let them run. Most times they're smarter than we are and we just have to give them space. Well, certainly they are in the trenches and they know things we don't know, that's for sure. And, and leaders cannot be afraid to get the hands dirty. That's the other thing. You know, sometimes we, we, we separate ourselves, but when the staff, the staff and the team see the leaders there side by side, working hard, they respect that. And it's not that I am better than, but we are in this together. And I think working in that space, and I will tell you, going back to, to the Merck uh, situation, we implemented a major global project under budget in time. And, and I had to rely on this young man and others to trust them that they're gonna do their very best and if they need help, they'll ask. So if, if, if I'm down there at the fourth level or the fifth level, or, or really, you know, if I'm an executive, how do you uh, help people identify the potential in themselves? One is, is, is and I ask people to reflect. For me, it's, it's really taking time and reflect. I have an exercise I do. I will ask people to break their lives into five-year uh, increments and look at the highs and lows. And, and I do believe what happens, Bruce, we are so busy that we don't take the time to see where we've come from, especially in the hard times. There are tremendous lessons and, and things that we've, we've brought with us. And if we were to sit back, I, I think that everyone is a masterpiece. Uh, I say God's magnificent masterpiece. We're each a story. We're each a song. We're, and, and if we were to take time to see what we bring to value, um, I, I think we would truly maybe even enjoy who we are. Rather than trying to be someone else, we see that we have those things that we already need. The other thing is I encourage people to find a mentor. Look at people around you who truly enjoy mentoring others and approach them for advice. And, and 
those people who are truly mentors, they will embrace that. Those who don't have time, well, you know, you, you, you don't waste your time. But I say find a mentor, seek them out, identify your skills, your dreams, the ambitions, and, and, and begin to engage those individuals. So, so find a mentor. Uh, that, that's a great piece of advice. And look for somebody who, you know, don't look for somebody who, oh, I wish you would be my mentor, but look for somebody who, who, who's good at being a mentor, right? They're interested in people. And, yeah. and you watch them, study them. And, and, and if they are truly a mentor, they, they, will, they will embrace that. Because for me, there's legacy when you mentor. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and I also, I love your suggestion of break your life into, when you say five increments, you mean like look at it in chapters, maybe? Five years, five-year increments. Oh, okay, five-year increments. Okay. And then and, and look at the highs and lows. And highs and lows. Just to give yourself some perspective on what makes you uh, one of God's masterpieces. What makes your story special? What you'll, you'll see is, is sometimes it's in the hard times that the greatest growth takes place. But if you're not able to get by that, sometimes you stay stuck in that. And, and, and so for me, coaching, mentoring, sometimes you may need counseling. But I think go back, look and review where you've been, identify those gems, and you will see patterns, Bruce, of things that you've done, probably have ignored. But those may be gifts and strengths that have been inherent there. And it's just a matter of nurturing that and letting it grow. And that is a beautiful takeaway lesson. That's, that's an exercise anyone anyone could could benefit from at any point in their career right and, and you know what bruce i don't care what career you've had if you can look back and you can see a path or pattern because i think every job has value you'll see you'll see trends and, and themes and maybe you'll see where your true potential has been or where or you'll, you'll get some ideas about your potential for the future and, and there, we all have dreams, the ambitions. And I, I would say, you know what? Don't let those go. And if someone's diminishing those things, you you find a place that you can bring those things to light because they they will grow. If they have air and rain and water and sunlight, they will grow. And I think getting to a place where if you're being disparaged, put down, and you're not utilizing your gifts, find that space. Dr. Jay Morris, thank you for being a guest on The Indispensables. You're welcome, Bruce. Thanks for having me. In our next episode, I'll talk with my old friend Amy Spies, who is a real-life rock star, about uh, pursuing a music career as an entrepreneur and having a baby at the age of 50 and uh, her new amazing album, There Used to Be Horses Here, and her award-winning songs. Wait till you hear it. She's so cool. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at goto underscore podcast. That's at goto underscore podcast. Learn more about GoToism in my new book, The Art of Being Indispensable at Work, available now from Harvard Business Review Press, wherever books are sold. And you can learn more about our work at Rainmaker Thinking by visiting us at rainmakerthinking.com. Until next time, stay strong and stay indispensable.